0: To look at life from the point of view of a redwood tree or a flower or slow motion of a hummingbird changes you forever, just as a psychedelic journey does. You know, once you see it, you can't go back and undo that. Everybody always goes, oh, Louie, your drums are beautiful. It's like, dude, it's not beautiful because I want it to be pretty. Beauty is the score that nature created for the dance of life.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen. I'm Sam Stern. Today my guest is filmmaker Louis Schwartzberg, creator of Fantastic Fungi, and back now with follow-up film Gratitude Revealed. Louis has created and worked on a score of films in his life, including his own features like Mysteries of the Unseen World and Wings of Life. Louis has also been a contributing cinematographer or visual effects artist from many Hollywood movies, including Men in Black 2, Aaron Brockovich, Vice Versa, The Heavenly Kid, Xanadu, Altered States, and even the 1982 masterpiece Koyaanisqatsi his inventive TED Talks have garnered more than 60 million views worldwide. Together, we talked about how Louis balances a love of documentary footage shot in the wild, with his continuing dedication to time-lapse footage shot in studio, how he sees making work as a spiritual practice, how social justice photography led to his start in film, what Los Angeles was really like during the early 1970s, and why he split town after graduation from UCLA to move to a tiny town in Northern California where he started retrofitting 35mm movie cameras to enable them to take high-resolution time-lapse photography. We also talked about how he lent his own take on psychedelic iconography to the film Altered States in the early stages of a film career that has always existed in a fiercely independent realm. And of course, we chatted about how Esalen continues to inspire a sense of wonder in him. You came of age uh, at UCLA in the early 70s and you picked up photography as a response to some of the civil and student unrest that was happening at that time. Can you bring me into that and talk to me about how this foray into photography would lead to a career behind the camera?
0: Yeah, well, I, at UCLA, when you know, the anti-war protests were happening... At that time, I was a poli-sci history major. And given my parents were Holocaust survivors, I really was imbued with this idea of fighting for social justice, and making the world a better place. But how could I study the French Revolution when there was like a protest happening, literally outside my door. And I documented the police brutality, uh, you know, beating students up on campus. And then I found out it was a lot easier to hand in a, uh, a photo essay than writing a paper. So I fell in love with photography and that opened up the door to filmmaking. And then I'd opened up the door to, you know, meeting my greatest teacher of all, which was Mother Nature. What was UCLA like in,
1: in the early 1970s? I mean, was it a fairly radicalized campus?
0: Not really, because it's mostly a commuter school. It was really split down the middle. The North Endley campus, liberal arts, humanities was more progressive and or radical. The the hippies psychedelic thing was definitely happening at that time. Southern campus, still be on fraternities, sororities. I got in trouble. <laughs> it's a short story. I worked on something called the Your Book. The Your Book was a companion to the yearbook. A good money mine, Phil Sapnik, worked for the Daily Bruin. That was the newspaper. They also published the yearbook. So we ended up making a companion book called the Your Book. The yearbook was this Ford's fraternity, sorority. You a know, typical kind of a yearbook. And then the Your Book, was, and it's really, I think, groundbreaking. We, we basically said that we were influenced our generation by television. This is who we grew up with. Ozzy and Harriet, Father Knows Best, you know, all the icons of, of TV. We showed how it really warped our minds as well as created this fake idea of America. You know, the ideal family, you know, living in suburbia, all that fake stuff. So it was a pretty radical book. One of the women... <laughs> at Visalia, where they made your books, opened it up, and Phil had shot this photo of an ice cream cone melting on a woman's navel, and she fainted, literally fainted. That (laughs) created an uproar where this old curmudgeon guy who was like the head of ASU's FLA, which was sitting on a lot of money, all the money where kids buy tickets and sports. It's the money that goes to a student fund, you know, and it's the big one. Anyways, there was a kangaroo court. We were dragged into it. And uh, we were at shoes of like, you know, being um, narcissistic and using a mundane appropriately or whatever it was. And we were found innocent. But the book became a cult hit in the fine art world after that. So we were rebellious.
1: Yeah, you kind of sound like you were part of, you mentioned that there was hippies and the psychedelic culture. You kind of sound like you were part of that that culture at the time. I'm kind of curious to hear what, yeah, what Los Angeles was like for somebody who's in that culture in the early 70s and what some of your kind of cultural influences were at that time.
0: Well, again, because, you know, UCLA was definitely more normal than at least UC Berkeley and was, you know, happening up north. But um, the demonstrations were um, very active and there were big crowds. I mean, the anti-war protests really did activate a lot of people. The truth is, you know, if you could go to Vietnam, you know, and that was a motivator. I mean, I I went to classes at UCLA Law School where we were taught how to avoid draft. Step one, you know, you registered your uh, address in Alaska. Alaska was like, you know, had a very liberal board. And you could, you know, I learned that like getting a P.O. box, the definition of residency is having a P.O. box. Good thing to know if you ever need to like evade something within the state. And then the next step after that would be Canada, you know, if you had to leave the country. Luckily, I had a high, uh, there was a lottery and I had a high number. But I think the, the convergence of the anti-war protests, the movements for, for women, for people of color, all of that converged. I mean, Angela Davis was at UCLA. She was a leader in the whole Black liberation movement. It was great. <laughs> I would say it was really great times because... You know, the bubble burst, you know, everything that you, you, were, you were taught is, was, you know, bullshit, whether it was drugs, racial equality, women's liberation, girls didn't have to dress up and be pretty, and, you know, the sexual revolution was happening. Huh. It was really radical, coming from the gate of Ozzy and Harriet. I it was a great time, because we really believe, I'm glad you're asking these questions, Sam, because we've, look, we've honestly believed we could change the world, and we did. We did. We stopped the war in Vietnam. That was a major thing to do. However, the idea of changing the world is a—that's a big nut to crack. Mm-hmm. And so, what happened right after that was, if you can't change the world, change your community. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was back to the land movement. So, at, after UCLA, I, mean, I moved to Northern California, where I lived in a little town called El, population 100, 200, and we have all these cool people that you know migrated there, you know, young students. From Berkeley, from NYU, from UCLA. And we were fucking clueless. We had no idea, like, how do you grow food? How do you dig a well? How do you use a chainsaw? I mean, it was an amazing period where you had PhDs and math and philosophy and, and all this, like, really brilliant people. And we had to really start from scratch, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was also a beautiful time to be up there as well yeah
1: and you were shooting that's when you started shooting time-lapse photography on a 35 millimeter camera something that really had never been done before i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that you worked a camera but but also about like the faith that you had in yourself the faith that you had in your art making practice
0: that allowed you to believe your work would ultimately be valuable i want to shoot you know high resolution film my inspirational you know Role models were guys like Edward Weston and Ansel Adams in beautiful nature, fine art photography, which is the big negatives. Well, in movies, the biggest negative is 35 millimeter. And the only people who were doing that were feature films and commercials. Film costs a hundred bucks a minute for develop and process. And even today, that's a shocking number when you think about it, right? With what we can do with, with digital. And so, um, I, I took these, you know, and to buy a camera was a couple of hundred thousand dollars to buy a movie camera, a 35 millimeter movie camera, there were only two or three vendors and Panda Vision would only lease them. So it was a real barrier to entry. So what I did was I found these really old cameras built in the thirties that had a really good steady movement. I modified it by putting still camera lenses on it, found someone who could do that. I met the guy that made the electric guitars for the Grateful Dead, Ron Vickersham, he was up in Sebastopol or Santa Rosa. And um, he made an electric motor that would run these old, clunky, heavy cameras, and I was able to shoot time-lapse. And with time-lapse, now you're shooting one frame every five seconds, one frame every minute, maybe every 15 minutes if it's a flower. So it could take me a month or two to shoot a roll of film. So what it did was it filled my sense of wonder, because back then, no one had ever seen high quality time-lapse before, whether it's time-lapse clouds, shafts of light, all of that stuff. It also enabled me to um, spend a lot of time filming, you know, which is important because that's how you learn. It's kind of funny. Here I am now. I have less time, but more money. Back then I had more time and no money. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I knew that looking at things from an altered point of view of time and scale shifts your perspective and it opens your heart to look at life from the point of view of a redwood tree or a flower or slow motion with a hummingbird changes you forever just as a psychedelic journey does you know once you see it you can't go back and undo that and so i i did have faith that this was something i wanted to do to turn on the world i wanted i wanted to see what i see and lo and behold when i was up there there was a film being made called the secret life of plants Which was based on a popular book in the the, the 70s. Stevie Wonder actually ended up doing a score, and they found out that there was a crazy guy named Louis living up in Mendocino who was doing time lapse. And that's when I licensed my imagery for that feature film. And that taught me for the very first time the idea I could license my imagery. Mm -hmm. And a long story short, that was the first time that. I basically pioneered the contemporary stock library business, which in 1998, I sold that company to Getty Images. Getty became a multi-billion dollar company with the acquisition of my company and still stock photography companies that created a giant industry. That's how it all
1: started. I mean, it's it's pretty wild, and and it's interesting that 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 led to this career working in in Hollywood films. I, I want to get to the new film that you're working on, Gratitude Revealed, yeah. but I'm also kind of interested in this trajectory of your career as you're brought on and you start working on on Hollywood films. Is it special effects that you're that you're doing? What tell me a little bit about what you're doing.
0: Secret Life of Plants offered me the opportunity to go to India. Going to India in 1977 was definitely different than it is today i mean that beggars everywhere it's really a third world country at that point came back from calcutta i realized la wasn't so hectic as i thought it was (laughs) and so i moved back to la because i had to because filmmaking is a collaborative process you know and i had a lot of friends up in elk making pottery and making leather but nobody was you know i was a one-man band you know so i came back to la and have all this gorgeous imagery sam and then I show it to the networks. I show it to studio people. And they go, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's beautiful. But we don't know what to do with it. They said, you can't tell a story without conflict. And back in my mind, I said, that's bullshit. The, but the people who got it, coincidentally, were the ad agencies. Mm-hmm. They realized it was eye candy. They realized this could grab your attention, you know? And so I started to license it to ad agencies. Time Not Sunrise, sunset. that's for banks, commercials, and, you know, radio stations were using my time-lapse traffic. Heartbeat of America, Chevy had all that street-making traffic. I did all the commercials for G.I. Joe, I worked on Michael Jackson, the Smooth Criminal. That's what's popular at the time. Music videos were invented during that period. You know, I had no connections really in Hollywood, so. You couldn't get into the union unless you had feature film credits or TV credits, and you couldn't work on the shows unless you were in the union. So it was a catch-22. But if I hired myself as a production company, I could do whatever I wanted, you know, working on commercials and working on music videos. And so that's how I survived and raised my daughters and put them through school in LA. But then little by little, I explored to license myself to major feature films, and I did do special effects. On films like Altered States, films like Vice Versa Mm -hmm. and Heavenly Kid, because I knew how to do that given my time lapse work is a, it is a special effect. So, but that kind of, I mean, after a while you're working on a movie, you realize that you have no voice if you're Mm -hmm. just one guy Uh and you're in charge of special effects, whatever it was kind of fun, but the fantasy and the glamour of that is really all you do is sit around and wait. I went back and I watched some of Altered
1: States kind of in preparation for this interview. Yes. And it's, it's very trippy. Were you able to, I mean, you're, you're the kind of legitimate, come from legitimate hippie or psychedelic background.
0: Were you able to help them a little bit? I saved them. Yeah. Okay, so Ken Russell had made some kind of weird movies, you know. They, but he was an alcoholic. Huh? So what happened was in the cutting room in post-production, they fired him. His idea of a psychedelic trip, which he had never done, were like World War One fighter airplanes that he wanted to build. <laughs> he had shot a couple of weird elements on the blue screen, but then they called me in, Stuart Baird, and he worked on uh, Superman. He was a really good editor in all the Lethal Weapon movies. He was a, a, a friend of mine. So he called me in, and I had all this cool footage, you know, that for me, psychedelics is like abstract nature, hallucinogenic nature, things that like are macro, micro, fed up, slow down, seeing things move that don't move, that are different, a different point of view of you know, showing that nature's alive, it's breathing, all that stuff. I'm sure, Sam, you get it. I was able to use my imagery, bring it into that story, but that's a weird story. I mean, I didn't like altered states, but when you think about it, the guys are like, you know, taking mushrooms, going into this isolation chamber, coming out of werewolf you know, like, like that's not the story we want to share, right? And killing people or how do they attack animals and got a blood on the face? right. I forgot that element of altered states. I, I mean, that's I just,
1: like. Exactly. I know about that movie because it has a major Esalen connection in that John Lilly, I think, was the, he was the origin story that they used to develop the altered states idea. And he, of course, he had been a huge teacher at Esalen during the late 1970s. I don't know if ketamine plays a, a role in the film. I can't remember that, but I know it was very important to him.
0: I'm pretty sure it was mushrooms. They went down and discovered these mushrooms somewhere in Mexico. They claimed they brought it back. Uh-huh. The, the The dialogue was really great. Fast dialogue, very academic. It was. It was, anyways, I was able to to put a more realistic view of yeah. what psychedelic w- work, and I was brought in like at the end of the visual effects that had already been sort of shot, the elements. So I was able to swing it in the right direction. Thank God I was able to do that so that people weren't going to think that taking a psychedelic was going to put you into a, a World War One, <laughs> you know, psychodrama.
1: let's talk about Gratitude Revealed, you know, and it's such an interesting film because it it mixes sort of documentary footage with the time-lapse footage that you're really well known for. There's a lot of documentary footage mixed into this film. And, you know, it's interesting that you, you know, you're this time-lapse master, but you have a deep background in documentary. You've shot films like America's Heart and Soul, Mysteries of the Unseen World. I'd love to ask you how you reconcile this interest in shooting and like obviously loving people in their natural habitat with the
0: time-lapse. For me telling stories that uh, are about resilience, especially my parents being Holocaust survivors. I, I like to tell stories of people who overcome adversity, but I see the same story in nature all the time. I see, right? yes. a blade of grass that's growing in a crack in the sidewalk. Well, shit, when you learn how to grow marijuana, you learn that if you water them less, you get more potent buds, right? And, and, you, and you, you separate the females from the males and then they're desperate, they get laid, and they, they can't do it. They get tougher. And nature is about resilience. And even, you know, medical studies show that when they have mice, you know, the mice sits like overfed, dies fast. The one that lives the longest is the one that gets less food.
1: Some of my favorite documentary footage that you have in that film, just off the top of my head, like the New Orleans footage, what were you out there shooting for? I mean, you have a really yeah. masterful look and take, it could have been a feature film of its own. What? What are you, are you just well, out in the world shooting things that you're interested in or tell them about that? I had,
0: I, I did a series for Hallmark, I wanted to make the film America's heart and soul. And the way that got made was I did a series for Hallmark called America prior to that in 1999 and 2000, 26 and a half hours. So of course I had to go to the Mississippi Delta because that's the birthplace of the music, American music, walk and roll, blues, gospel. I had filmed a lot of stories in the Mississippi Delta. And, and that's where I was able to tap in some of that content of Kermit Ruffins, mm-hmm. Little Milton is not with us anymore. Those are great stories, man. Yeah, I think when when you're a documentarian, I guess you're really a voyeur. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know I'm known for time lapse, but in a way, it's like you, you want to enter a different world. So, time lapse is one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is like go go to a juke joint in a little town in, in the Mississippi Delta. You're the only white guy, and there I am at Little Milton playing the blues. You know. And we plug it in a light and guess what? And the power goes in out because there's a bunch of extension cords hanging out of a window <laughs> <laughs> that's powering the place, you know, and it's like a hundred degrees and everyone's looking at you like, what did you do? You white guy, what's your situation I've been in? You know what I mean? What's you know, your crew you know? like
1: when you, when you're out there? Is it, is it a small
0: crew? Yeah. It's pretty, it definitely has to be a small crew, sound guy, myself, assistant cameraman, producer.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you're talking about sort of like the presence that you have when you're going out there and shooting documentary stuff. Because I've tried to do it before in the past, and it's sort of like there's this fear that I have into being too intrusive, into killing the moment. But of course, the best right. documentary footage is when you come into a real moment. So how do you, I don't know, how do you do this without disturbing the the element that you're going for?
0: Well, you're there to honor the situation, you know? Whether it's nature or uh, a musical performance, I'm there to honor it. I think they feel that, you know. And 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 you have eye contact with everybody. I shoot a lot. A lot of times, I do not ask permission, you know, because that kind of ruins it. I mean, if you're working for Getty Images, you want to have them sign a release before you aim the camera. Well, shit, you're going to get nothing out of that. Mm. You've completely destroyed it. Or they travel around the world. I can't even speak their language. But I can look in their eyes and I can get the consent I'm here to honor you. I think you're beautiful, you know, and therefore I'm, I want to capture this magic moment. But the truth is this, that when you get in the cutting room, you are always going to be manipulating reality, you know? And so if I'm filming already, yes, I am a, I'm there and I am perhaps changing the reality of the moment, but after a while, because of the vibe that you present to people, you do become invisible, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I work with a really small crew. Like I even tell my crew, I don't get talking to, to the people that I'm filming. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to make that because they're like, oh, God, this is so interesting. This Terry Formers is amazing, you know, or yeah. You know, and, and I go, no, you cannot talk to anybody because we are here to be invisible. It's hard to do. I know you're excited. I know you're fascinated. You know, I, I hate to be a boss. But I had to make that very clear to people because we want to just be as unobtrusive as possible. And then what I do is I start talking and a lot of times people don't even know I'm recording because I just you we know, put the mic on and I say, fuck it, just roll it. And so I'm just slipping in little by little. And, if, and, 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 and the other thing is with the stories that, that you saw in gratitude reveal, I'm asking questions about what are they in love with? What's their passion? Everybody wants to talk about what their, what, what their work is or what their passion is. It's easy for them to open up. I'm not going to ask them some trick question, you know, like, who did you vote for or whatever? You know, it's, yeah. it's like, what do you love? Mm. What do you love? Mm-hmm. What do you, what, 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 you know, like people just will open up to that question easily.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Let's talk more about, about what you love. I want to ask you about you know, this whole time-lapse thing. One yeah. thing that I don't think a lot of people know about your work is that a lot of the time-lapse, at least, you shoot indoors. Can you talk to me about the way that you craft your work in studio?
0: Well, if you're going to shoot a flower or a mushroom, um, it could take days, obviously, for it to open up and grow. And so you can't do that outdoors for a lot of reasons. One, you get your camera gets stolen. Number two, the light is, is changing constantly. And then and there's wind, because otherwise it jitters and shakes. There's bugs. There's all kinds of variables. So what I do is I create like a mini set where I'm shooting day to night. So yeah, I, I shoot indoors. I got grow light, it's intervalometers, stuff that's been custom built for me, where I'm able to, to roll these cameras 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which I've done for four decades, nonstop. Okay, so Sam, a uh, trick question for you. Sure. If I have been rolling cameras nonstop for four decades, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, how much time-lapse content do I have? Oh man.
1: Okay. You got me, you got me doing math in my head right now. I'm going to say it's less than I would think. Throw a number out. Maybe you've got in a can like a hundred hours. Or like 16. For a lifetime of artistic work? Yeah. You've said that it's a spiritual practice for you to do this time yeah. lapse. I mean, like, I've, like this week, are you working on time lapse? Absolutely.
0: All the time. It's awesome. And it, is, and, it is, and it is, I suppose, I guess you call it a spiritual practice where what, what gets you up in the morning? You know, I think that's the biggest challenge most people have, right? When getting out of bed, I was reading about the blue zones, blue zones are places where people live a long time. If you're not too familiar with the term. But one of the things that most people do is they go to their garden. You know, they, 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 they tend the garden before they have breakfast, before they have coffee, before they have tea. That's what they do. You know, and that's what I do. First thing I do is I go, well, what happened overnight? Did it open? Is it in frame? Is it in focus? Is it happy? Is it healthy? You know, and I also go in the garden and go, well, who's next? (laughs) What am I going to shoot next? What's about to open? what, What looks really beautiful? It gets me in sync with the life cycle. It gets me in sync with what is real. That's how I start my day.
1: You've said that all varieties of life have a different frame rate. What does that mean?
0: Well, with my camera, it's like a time machine. I'm able to show you, instead of talking about that, you know, time is relative and that at the human point of view, it's only one narrow point of view. I can literally show you that. So in time-lapsing a flower, I'm showing you the fact that they open and move and dance to the light. If I'm doing a slow motion shot of a hummingbird, same thing. I mean, I'm slowing down their point of view for you to see what a hummingbird sees. What's interesting about that is the hummingbird, you know, the metabolic rate is super fast. I would guess a redwood tree is super slow. It lives 500 years or, or, or a, a turtle or a whale, you know. I think the slower the heartbeat, the longer you live. It's the same thing. The heartbeat, frame rate, they're relative to each other. So, I'm just showing you that there's all these different visions of reality, and it's really a good lesson that your point of view is a narrow point of view. We need to learn that. When you travel, you learn that. Different cultures have different ways of eating and sleeping and dressing or music and whatever. That broadens your horizons, right? It makes you a more compassionate human being. And I'm trying to do the same thing but time and scale, you know? To be able to even not just zoom into a flower but aerials over you know mount cook new zealand i mean whoa look at that you don't see that point of view it's just a matter of broadening your perspective to open your heart
1: had so much success with fantastic fungi curious whether you think that the work that you do within film is inherently psychedelic or that it shares some some qualities with the psychedelic experience
0: absolutely i think that um having done a psychedelic in college definitely changed the way i make movies because i wanted to show people as we just talked about the fact that i can you know slow things down speed things up that there are different forms of of perception right and so with Fantastic Fungi, that was the film I always wanted to make, but it wasn't like the reason wasn't psychedelics. If I step back one film before that, it was Wings of Life. Wings of Life was about pollination. And so I'm always really trying to unveil the mystery. Like, what is life? You know, what is the foundation of life? And so with, with Wings of Life, I thought it was, and when you heard about the you know, colony collapse disorder and the fact that the bees are disappearing, the perfect film to make was Wings of Life. The intersection between the animal world and the plant world that gives us all the food we need to eat. So I go, wow, that's a giant revelation, you know, because if that was the foundation of life, then what do plants need? They need soil. And you can ask a dozen people like, where does soil come from? And even university educated people are not going to give you the answer. You know, I mean, it comes from fungi that break down organic matter and minerals and rocks to create soil, you know, so. Everybody always goes, oh, Louis, your films are beautiful. It's like, dude, it's not beautiful for like, because I want it to be pretty. Beauty is the score that nature created for the dance of life. Beauty motivates us to do things all the time, right? Now, beauty has been hijacked by Madison Avenue or whatever marketing to make us buy products, right? A sexy girl, you know, near a car, whatever it is. I mean, you're pressing your buttons. (laughs) But nobody taught you like what is beautiful, beauty is the And so I film everything with trying to capture the magic because that's part of the story. It is the secret sauce in all my films is that they're beautiful. So beautiful seduces you beyond the information that is being communicated.
1: Let me ask you about success. You know, the, with the success of Fantastic Fungi kind of turning you into a, a household name, how did that change your career and what you wanted to accomplish,
0: if it did at all? I think it's given me the confidence to want to be able to make more independent films. With Gratitude Revealed, I, I haven't reached out to anybody to try to sell it. Um, I'm learning how to build community, and, and hopefully by the, the community and the followers will be able to support the film and that's the only way I'm going to be able to continue to make the films that I want to make without some type of financial or creative interference. So it's given me the the and the courage to do it. What's a challenge that you've had to overcome in order to achieve
1: some of this independence and success that you're kind of enjoying at this moment?
0: Well, I think that as a filmmaker, the biggest challenge you always have is like financial. And, you know, I never had any like, inside contact to get involved in the industry. So, but I think it's been a blessing that I've had obstacles. Like, for example, when I couldn't crack the industry, I invented the stock and library business. I was, not that I wanted to do that, but people said, oh, your stuff's really beautiful, can we use it in a, in a commercial, can we use it in a movie? Sure. I didn't give away the rights to it. I gave them a copy of it that they could use. The blessing in that is now I got two thousand hours of material. And as we have these new platforms emerging, you know, with streaming platforms which never existed five, ten years ago, think about it. Um, I've got two thousand hours of material that I can use. So you look back, these the, these obstacles are a blessing in disguise. One other note too is that given that my parents were volatile survivors, make yeah, maybe you want to fight hard and, and push through and make the world a better place and be resilient. It's also easy for me to feel like a victim which I've learned to have to overcome because when something happens like some unjust thing or the rejection or even when something is you know definitely unjust uh, you have to learn you know not to put yourself into a negative spiral and that's where gratitude the movie has really helped me a lot because you can't have a negative thought a positive thought at the same time so when I start ruminating on this negative spiral like that guy screwed me or whatever, I I need to be grateful for the fact that I got fingers that move, that I got cells in my body that are working in harmony, a trillion cells. You know, here I am, alive, and it stops me going into that you know spiral of woe is me, which is easy for me to do. Yeah, there's a part in your film where Jack Cornfield talks about
1: suffering and about these monks that pray for suffering because yeah. suffering leads to compassion eventually and i found that that piece of the film really really moving yeah but the
0: best line is you don't have to pray for suffering it will come (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) i'm thinking about your moving art series
0: yeah talk to me about moving art and what it's being used for Well, the beautiful thing about moving art, it's music and visuals with no narration. And I've gotten hundreds of comments from people who claim that it's a healing modality. I never made that claim, but the beautiful thing is that when people discover it on their own, I think it's remarkable. So I've had comments from parents with children with autism saying they had a major breakthrough. I have comments from teenagers who were suicidal who said it saved their life. Most of the comments are from people who have stress, anxiety, cancer patients, post-op, pre-op, and end-of-life anxiety. So based on all that feedback, I've taken a lot of those episodes and I'm now placing them into hospitals, you know, to reduce stress anxiety, to reduce heart rate, respiration rate, addiction to drugs, you know, shorter stays in the hospitals. I'm just loving the idea of doing these clinical trials. We just finished one at, at the Pacific Neuroscience Institute, combining my imagery with psychedelics to treat alcohol addiction. And the combo is positive. We're going to start another one at UCSF at the Neuroscape Lab. Where we're going to, you know, wire people up with EEG and fMRI and galvanic meter response. And I want to learn, like, is there a difference between looking at a time-lapse flower or looking at a glacier? It's almost like saying, if music is good for you, what kind of music? You can't just say nature. All of that has inspired me to really do this exploration of how it can really be a healing modality. Oh, that's fascinating. That's yeah. great. And it, you know, one other little fact is also that eighty percent of the data you get comes into your eyes. So you have healing modalities for every other sensory receptor, right? Sound, you know, for music and aromatherapy for smell and massage for touch and hearing artesian. You know, all these modalities really well. Healthy food for taste, and then what is there for vision? Mm, right, moving art. Exactly. How can people see
1: that if they're, aside from being in a psychedelic trial or at the hospital? Well, they can watch, right
0: now they can watch Moving Art* on, on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, which yeah. I've heard a lot of undergrad practitioners use all the time. The other thing is I'm launching my own channel, which we just actually did a soft beta launch three days ago. I'm secretly building the Louis channel. We'll go to louiechannel.tv on all the major platforms, you know, Apple TV and Roku, et cetera. And it'll be free. Okay. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, L-
1: Louis, before I let you go, after grilling you for so long, you've been to Esalen many times. Yeah. Is there an element of Esalen that to you inspires wonder or awe or gratitude? All of it. I mean,
0: Big Sur is like a, a confluence of, you know, old growth forests, cliffs, ocean, rugged contrast, big waves. Yeah, you know, where, where does the forest meet the ocean? Not that many places on the planet that happens. I love the contrast and with that contrast comes fog. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love the fog because when you time-lapse fog, you see it as giant waves of water, the way it comes in, right? Yeah. It looks like water It's just these waves that goes in and it goes out. It's a a beautiful test tube of all the elements that come together. It's yin-yang, it's male, female. It's like everything in one spot. So for me as a filmmaker, it's like heaven. And from a spiritual point of view, it fills my soul. Mm, That's great.
1: Hey, I actually do have one more question for you. What's something that you're really loving or admiring about
0: yourself recently? Great question. Um, I think allowing, allowing things to unfold. Mm. Uh-huh. I'm trying to have my foot on the accelerator as much as I always have. <laughs> right, that's great. Louis Schwartzberg, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. I'll be watching out for Louis. the Louis Channel. TV, And people can watch Gratitude Revealed by going to GratitudeRevealed.com.
1: GratitudeRevealed.com. Yeah, it's a it's a great film. It's so enjoyable. It's a perfect release for Thanksgiving gratitude time. Yeah, it's a, it's so sweet to talk with you. Can't wait till the next time I see you at Esalen. Thanks so much for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our music is by Nico Holloman. Additional music supplied by Epidemic Music. If you're liking the show, please do subscribe. And hey, if you're in the mood, share it with a friend. Until next time, be well.